and 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 yet the, and the church doesn't just have us say check the internet the church believes in the irreplaceability of of preaching and how you know romans mm-hmm. 10 you know how else will they hear uh unless someone preaches mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. beautiful are the feet of those who who bring good news there's this this real embodiment that's crucial that can't be done elsewhere and yet the 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 sort of high bar and i think that's what you're pointing out i think that's what we've talked about here and and i'm sort of learning mm-hmm. is this incredible burden hello 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 everybody and welcome to another episode of this catholic life and uh, we're getting this podcast started back up. I'm really excited about it, and I'm excited to be joined by none other than Ryan O'Hara. What you just heard was an episode clip from his podcast, Better Preach. It's a great podcast sharing uh, best practices and behind the scenes into the life of giving Catholic talks and really being a better preacher. So, Ryan, I'm just so excited to kick back off my journey of podcasting with you and talk about one of my favorite podcasts out there, which is yours. I'm so excited that you you got it going because I know it's been something that was on your heart for a while. You talked a lot about it and posted on Instagram. You know, should I do this? And we're taking polls. Um, and I, I was it was so cool to kind of see the journey for you because you are a cool, unique person who I think like you engage on social media in a cool way where you really engage people and get people's input and you really take them along the journey with you. And I I really have appreciated that as you started this process of getting better preach off the ground. And now, you know, how many episodes in are are you? you Uh, 10, we've released 10. We have another kind of five or six uh, in the can ready to go, but yeah, we're, we're, we're 10 in that felt significant. You know, it's like, okay, double digits. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. When you get to 10, it's like, you you just feel like, wow, that's, you know, you feel like now I'm a real, this is, I'm a real podcast. That's right. I am a real podcaster. I think that's That's right. Yeah, that is right. (laughs) Oh man. But you know, what's, what's also awesome is you've been super consistent. So I'm always like, it's like Wednesday every day. Right. You know, it's like looking forward to it all the time. So it's been something that's been amazing, like having that every week. So I've, I've been encouraged by it. I'm excited to have you here with us. Um, So to just kind of start off, I want to get to Better Preach, and I want to talk about your whole vision for that podcast, what's your dreams for it. Yep. But I want to just kind of focus on who you are, because this is uh, this Catholic life. And so the whole purpose of this podcast is to share inspiring witnesses and testimonies of people living a Catholic life. My whole like idea for this when I dreamt this up with my friend Josh was we looked at um, one of the top podcasts, This American Life, and we were oh, like, yeah. how about how about we spoof it? Yeah. And we do this Catholic life. Love that. And uh, share these testimonies with people. So now let's talk about you. Let's back up, kind of get the big picture. Who are you? Um, how did you become Catholic? How, you know, where, where, where are you in your Catholic life? Yeah. Well, I was born and raised uh, a Catholic. And in fact, I, I literally grew up in church. My mom was a religious sister for 15 years of her life before she heard a call as post-Vatican II to kind of step back from religious life and uh, pursue marriage. I'm grateful she did. Um, And in, in so doing, she was a liturgist. She's a, she was a liturgist. Okay. And so she was playing the organ, you know, at mass three, four times a weekend. And there I was oftentimes sitting in the, you know, choir loft with her. And so I always say that I, I grew up in church, uh, in the Catholic church, but it took a long time for the Catholic church to grow up in me. And it, it wasn't really until college that I, I heard, uh, kind of the truths of, of who I am, who God is, who Jesus is, what he's done for us and was given a chance really for the first time in college to respond to those truths and to align my whole life uh, with that. And in fact, my mom had a, a piece in that, in that I heard, you know, the, you know, the, the greatest commandment that we should love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And 
I really desired that. Mm. Um, but I knew it wasn't true of my life and that I could have a new relationship with God that he would forgive my sins. Um, and that I could, I could live with him forever. And I just hadn't thought about these longer term implications about church for me was just going to mass. And what they were talking about was something much more far reaching into someone's life, but also much more attractive actually. And it really was compelling, but I walked back, I came back from that retreat and I was in college. Uh, I lived in a fraternity house and we had a, you know, actual landline. This is before cell phones. And I pick up the landline, dial my, I call it my mom. And uh, again, I, the reason I call my mom uh, was my dad at the time was in a nursing home. He had Alzheimer's disease. That's another story. But so f- my whole life, my mom was the most important relationship in my life. And she, I told her, I said, listen, they said that God is supposed to be the most important relationship in our lives. I'm like, I like that idea. But if I'm honest, mom, you're the most important relationship in my life. And she, she said, thank you, Ryan. That's awesome. I I really appreciate that. She said, but I, but I want to give you permission to put God first in your life. And that was, uh, that was the turning point. And so that was sort of what brought Catholicism in, if you will, all the way back around in my heart and my life. And my mom was the, the principal one connecting me with the church. And then finally, I think she was the one who gave me permission to go all in. That's awesome. What, um, so, so you have your mom as this great witness to you and really gives you the permission to have him be number one for you. Yeah. What was that journey like once you accepted that? What, what were like the first steps for you of really activating that? Well, I I'd love to say that it was, you know, like a St. Paul, sort of 180 turn. <laughs> uh, it was not that. Uh, it was more like, um, that'd be like a microwave. It was more like a crock pot. It was kind of a slow, <laughs> slow burn. But um, so I, but, but some things did change and they were important changes. Number one, um, the guys that invited me into this retreat also invited me into a weekly men's group. Mm. And I was, I was like a little baby Catholic, baby Christian. The other, I mean, the other thing to note is that I was not at a Catholic college. I was at a, a Protestant college that actually had a historical affiliation with the Baptist church. Yeah. So there were a lot of like evangelical Protestants around. Interestingly enough though, and this is a real grace, none of them, if you can believe this, none of them encouraged me to leave the church. Wow. Now I, I had not been going to mass. Yeah. Um, but none of them also encouraged me to leave the church. In fact, encouraged me to go to mass. And so that was awesome. And, but I didn't even know yeah. that that was awesome, but that looking back, that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so I got connected into a men's group. There was accountability. There was like real honest vulnerability around what's going on in my life and what's working and not working. I was still kind of in this double life reality, wanting to to be a Christian, um, wanting to love God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. But I also wanted to have fun. And I, I was trying to sort out that duality. And those guys helped me with that. The other thing that two other things happened. Um, in this group, we we talked a lot about, about prayer and we talked a lot about scripture. And in that group, one of the things I noticed, because I couldn't do it, was that after each person would kind of share about what's going on in their life, somebody would offer to pray for them. Right. And I was like, our father who art in heaven, how, you know, like I would do the, the road, like, that's what I would do. What, like, yeah. what else do you want me to do? Just make stuff up, you know? And, but they could, they, they could speak to God. Like they had a personal, well, they did. They had like, like he was in the room and, and he is when we gather in his name. And so uh, I, I, I learned not only the power of, of praying on a daily basis, but learning how to, to just pray and to, you know, be honest and open with God. And then the other thing um, was a love for scripture emerged as well, because that was true in their life. So kind of men's group, uh, accountability, prayer, scripture. And that took a while uh, to kind of take, but when it did, it did. And in fact, the the thing that kind of 
kind of brought it all home finally was another guy, another close friend of mine gave me this like 14 week Bible study. And he said, be careful with this. This might just change your life. And it was really uh, prophetic because I started getting into the scriptures every single day over many, many weeks. And that was what really drew me in to a deep and and personal uh, relationship with God. That was just after college. And that's at the same time that I heard a call to, to ministry. And yeah. that's how that all began 25 plus years ago. So I want to j- dive into that, this call to ministry. But, but what was that like for you diving into that Bible? study? So he hands you a Bible study and it's yeah. It's just kind of you, do you go yeah. off on your own and you just yeah. do this Bible study on your own? Yeah, just every night. Um, just, it was pretty well laid out. Like it would, it was like a workbook and you would just kind of answer the questions, reflect, pray. Um, life was, I mean, I was single back then. I had a, a pretty easy job and yeah. I just had time. And, um, and I was, I was like, I was into all the things like I wanted to find, I was not married and I was wanting to find, you know, um, I was looking for, you know, I wanted to date, you know, and that was important. But then slowly those kinds of things started to fade to the background. Um, And I just had a sense that uh, God, God was calling me to something. And, and what it sounded like in my heart was, I'm being called to ministry. And so I just, I guess, kind of intuited that I needed to pray. I, you know, God's the one who knows what he's doing. So I, I, I got to get to know him. And so I kind of pulled back from dating and uh, work was just work and uh, began a, a pursuit of, of God and of finding where I might serve him because I really desired that. Right. Even though I had no experience with that in college at all, I was. I was, I was the guy that people were trying to reach, <laughs> you know, I wasn't, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't reaching anybody. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is so funny. Um, yeah. it, it's, you know, it's cool. It's like, it's a uniquely personal experience you had where you, he gives you this Bible study and you go off on your, on your own and you're yeah. praying. That, yeah, and that it was, it, it, it was unique. In fact, what one happened, I, if I could tell you the story, um, yeah. 1996, um, summer the summer olympics that year were in atlanta georgia and this guy who gave me this bible study he and i and two other guys four of us who had just graduated from college we we heard about this opportunity to work for speedo yes actual speedo company at the olympics and we were selling speedos and other like swim gear literally (laughs) And, and they they put us in in these funny places all over atlanta some places where there was a Olympic traffic and people would buy stuff and some places uh, were not. And it was just like desolate and maybe even dangerous, but we, we, we continued to be um, like the people that would, would hang out around our kiosk were people who were homeless Mm -hmm. and people who had, had some needs. And there was this like Christian conversion that's happening in me. And I know that um, Jesus wants us to, to be generous with people in those situations. And yet I just couldn't do it. And yet I was reading this Bible study and we were in the book of Daniel and it was Daniel in the lion's den and, and in the fire and that whole, those stories. And that's how I felt. I felt like uh, for my faith, I had to, I was in these places that I wanted to give, but I was scared, but God was, was saying, I'm, I'm going to be with you. And so one morning I was walking to work uh, by myself and to catch uh, the, the subway to where we were working. It was raining. I remember it well, um, kind of a soft rain, 630 in the morning. And I, I'm walking towards the train station and this gentleman stopped and he kind of uh, approached me. He had a Krispy Kreme donuts hat on. That's one thing I remember. And he asked me if I had any money for train fare. And I said, no, man, I'm sorry. And this whole time I'm thinking, just last night, I read about Daniel. I, was, I wasn't going to do that, but I did. And then I kept walking. He kept walking. And we got closer right to the area where you walk down into the train station. And uh, he stopped again. He said, hey, man, um, I asked nicely. Uh, <laughs> could you spare some money for some train fare? And I was like, ah, no, man, I'm sorry. I don't have it. 
Yeah. Again, it wasn't true. But we kept walking. We walked down into the train station, about halfway down, 100 steps or so, about 50 steps down. He stopped, went back up. I kept walking down. But by the time I got to the bottom of the stairs, I was like, what am I doing? Like, what, what am I so afraid of? What, like, come on. And so just this deep well of conviction rises up. I grab my wallet. I run up the stairs and I get to the top. And it was such that you could kind of see 360. Mm-hmm. And unless he was like Usain Bolt or something, I don't know where this guy went. <clears throat> and I don't know if, anyway, he disappeared. Yeah. And I had, I had in that moment, this feeling of that was, that was like an angel or like, like what just happened to me? And I had all these, like this flood of the scriptures coming back to me that we, you know, it says in Hebrews that we entertain angels and, and whatsoever you do for the least of your brothers, you do for me. And I had this sense that I missed a moment. There was a message being brought into my life, an opportunity to respond. And I missed it, but I wasn't, it was one of those God moments well, you know, it was a God moment because I wasn't filled with shame or guilt. Um, I was filled with hope and I was so encouraged, convicted, but like encouraged that God would, would allow me to have this kind of experience. And again, I don't know. Was that an angel? I, I don't know. Right. But did I have an experience that, that, that God was, was speaking to me and reaching out to me in my life? Yes. And so that night as we, as I walked home, I was convinced I wouldn't let another moment like that pass. And sure enough, uh, that night, as I'm walking home, another guy approaches me and said, Hey, could you help me get some, some food? And I, <laughs> I, could, I couldn't get my wallet and money out fast enough. It just, <laughs> I literally gave him, <laughs> I gave him everything I had. It's like 10 bucks, but that's what yeah. I had. Yeah. <clears throat> and I gave him a hug. I just embrace this guy. And uh, he said something I'll never forget. He said, thanks. I, I could tell that you gave to me from your heart. And I've come to since learn that that's kind of an unusual phrase, um, but it really spoke to me. Um, and that night, as I walked home further, that was when I heard that call. Um, I didn't hear it audibly, um, but it was as though God spoke to my heart and said, your life will be ministry. Yeah. And that was it. So that was, so I, I, that call began to emerge as I was studying the scriptures, as I was praying, as I was trying to kind of change my life and open my heart and life to God. And uh, I guess the rest is history. (laughs) Right. Oh my gosh. And so then you, you got into ministry. What was that first call for you? Yeah. So campus ministry has been kind of my life's work. I first uh, had an opportunity. I worked at the university of Missouri Newman center as their campus minister. 1997, uh, that was June. Uh, Met my wife six days later. I was just glad she wasn't a high school or college student because she looked kind of young, but we were the same age. Yeah. And uh, it was love at first sight, I guess. I was just enthralled and we were married about 15 months later. There's a whole story with that too. But um, so I met and married my wife there. I called a ministry emerged and um, have been working in campus ministry ever since. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, I mean, what tell, talk to me about that because for me, I am sending all the kids to you. Yes. I've been in youth ministry for about 10 years almost now. And, yeah. you know, it's just, it's a different world where you're in this parish life and you've got parishioners and all these different things. And then uh, we're sending them off to you to actually really live their life. And it's, uh, yeah. I would imagine it's far different than uh, than youth ministry dealing with a kid at that age level. You tell me about that. Well, I, you know, honestly, I could never do what you do, Nick. You know, like I, <laughs> I, I love. Well, for me, it was the experience that I had. My life changed in college. Yeah. Uh, but if we're honest, we know this is a partnership. Mm. That the work that you're doing, it's like a relay. Right. There's a handoff that has to happen. And in some ways, it's kind of up to us to not screw it up. Because I yeah. think there's a ton of really effective youth ministry that w- what, I, what I think we're finding is how do we help connect 
those students that you're working with that really do have a genuine desire to continue pursuing their Catholic faith as a, as a very important part of their life, to, to be a disciple of Jesus. If there isn't a good handoff or if there isn't a good connection made almost immediately freshman year, all bets are off, really. Yeah. And, and, and so we see our work as a crucial partnership with, with youth ministry, but also we, we hope that wherever they go to next, you know, they land well as also. So those two transitions into college and out of college, those are hard to navigate so that the, the work you're doing with teenagers on the other end, you, you see them maybe even again, back at their home parish, you know, four or five years later, and they're even stronger. I would love for that to be the consistent experience of a youth minister. I, I don't know if it always is. Yeah. And I think it has a lot to do with um, those handoffs and how we, how we do that. No, I love that. I love that so much. And I, I just think it's one thing that's cool too. You said like, that was where my like conversion happened. Yeah. Like that's where you felt yeah. uh, really called to the Lord. And then you're placed in that space where, where you had this big transformation to go then and transform others. And it, yeah. I relate so much to that because right now I'm literally sitting in the church office that I grew up in. This is where I work now. It's wow. the church that I grew up going to. Wow. Is that true? That's that awesome. Is. What yeah. a witness. I know. It, yeah. So it's, I, I relate that so much, just being hmm. being back here where I was sent off from. Um, it, it's really been cool to, to see that full circle effect. Um, wh what has that been like for you? You know, you, you were transformed in campus ministry and yeah. then you're sent back into campus ministry. How has, how, how have you like developed over the years from, you know, just being a fresh campus minister into yeah. now you've grown years into it. You know, yeah. what, what has your mindset changed over the years? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it certainly has uh, has changed a lot. I I always had kind of a natural relational kind of capacity and just loved you know building relationships with students. And I learned I had a really important moment early on. Like I get like the relational component always had come natural mm -hmm. and. But the, one of the most important things that needed to change is I was super disorganized. Um, I, was, I was not very disciplined. I, I would, I would get, you know, be at work early in the morning and stay till past midnight. It was just like this kind of train wreck of, of a life, um, not only in terms of boundaries, um, but in terms of organization. And I, I had a guy, um, a, a really trusted mentor of, of young campus ministers kind of challenged me and confront me on that. He goes, Ryan, you, you have a ton of, of relational gifts and you have a ton of passion and energy, but you have to find systems of, of, of staying organized, of getting things done and, and really building something that can be bigger than just your personality. Mm. And that, was a really big turning point for me. One, to kind of realize it's not about me, yes, but to also realize that I was a, I was a, I'm a steward for a time here. What can I do to both be personally and relationally effective, but what, what kind of work can I put in to ensure that systems and processes and, and ways of doing things are built that would persist well beyond my time. Mm -hmm. And so kind of thinking beyond just my own talent or, or skill um, and really thinking about the future. So that that's probably was probably the biggest shift that that happened in me. And right. that was a, a great call out for me in the early days. Wow. Yeah, it's it's it is a powerful witness of recognizing that it's about the systems and it's about building something that will stand beyond you. Yeah. Because I, I think that's something that has changed in me in my time in youth ministry. You know, I think getting a lot of people get into youth ministry, at least I've seen a lot of people get involved in youth ministry because they were inspired by their youth minister or their youth yeah. ministry 
And um, I, I think I was that kid. I was really inspired by my youth minister. I was excited about it. I loved sure. all the going to the conferences and I, I was encouraged by the speakers and I was excited about that. And I said, well, I, I think I could do that. And that's mm -hmm. kind of, I at one point got called into it. Someone said, hey, you should do this. I went and started doing things, but I quickly realized you can get only so far off of that charisma and that personality. Yeah, that's right. It can build things fast. You know, sure, you can gather in a lot of people that way, but that will not sustain it whatsoever. Yeah. And if you leave, it's just like, you know, gone. I've yeah, seen the it. wheels fall off. Yeah, I've seen it happen so many times. So it's something that I've been really, really focusing on since I got here back at Holy Family. I, I came back to Holy Family in this position two years ago. And I remember... The program, it was during COVID mm. and the program had kind of just really, I mean, been hit hard by that in terms of attendance and involvement. Sure. And <laughs> some of the core members were like, Nick, we just want you to come in and you do it. You're, you're yeah. a great personality. You're from yeah. here. And uh, we're kind of like in need of uh, some sort of miracle or something yeah. like, you know, shock this thing into life. And I was like, well, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's yeah. actually, let's like focus on how we can just de develop these kids one at a time individually yeah. as disciples. And I think that that's paid out slower, but yeah. so much deeper over yeah. time. Right now we're really starting to hit a stride and it's been mm -hmm. really, really inspiring to see right now. Um, so I've been really encouraged by that, but I, I love hearing that from you because I do think that that's creating systems is so important. So yep. for campus ministers out there and for youth ministers, like what are some of the, those systems for you that, that you really started to put in place. Cause I, I, I've been noticing it, especially as a, a married person with two kids, you need them. You can't mm -hmm. be, you know, you can't be going all these crazy hours and uh, just spending your life always at the church. That's how it was for me when, before I was married, you know, yeah. but I've had to really learn to put these boundaries in place and create systems to help serve not just me, but my, my family and all these different things that we're doing. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, I was going to say, I think it has a lot to do with moving away from the, the kind of hand to mouth, I'm going to make it all happen approach, mm. stepping back and being thoughtful, um, prayerful and intentional, um, leading in from, you know, basically being at least a semester ahead, if not a year ahead. And so for, for me, it has everything to do with, with looking, looking ahead and deciding and praying what's, what's our goal this year? What are the things that need to be done to ensure that we achieve that goal? Who do we need to raise up, to empower, to enable, to help reach that goal. Again, when you're young and you've got some talent, you can make a huge impact quick, but you're going to, you're going to burn out quick too. And I was, yeah. I was guilty of that. But then I started realizing that, that the key part of my leadership is actually enabling and empowering others to, to, to multiply the effect. We see it literally this is what Jesus said. He's like, it's better if I go to heaven and yeah. I send the Holy Spirit. And everybody's like, what? How could that possibly be? But then imagine, right, you put the Holy Spirit into everybody and we become little, literally little Christs. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's, it's, it's counterintuitive um, because we love the, you know, the charismatic leader and they can get some things done. But again, um, I wanted to model this this sense that um, our best thinking doesn't happen in an emergency and under pressure, that our best thinking happens when we have time to pray, to reflect, to get the right kind of people on board, and we can look ahead and really decide. We can just almost decide we can, we, we can go wherever we want. Um, yeah. And let's figure that out and let's go together. So it was those, it was really those systems of, of thoughtful, intentional, prayerful preparation and training of your leaders mm -hmm. to be able to, to move to a place together and then to build those systems, uh, you know, into the rhythm of the, of the year. And then of course, 
to be really thoughtful about key, th this, is, this was critical and it, it took me a while to learn this, but you need teaching and preaching and you, we need moments, multiple evangelistic moments during the year. And we need to give people many different kinds of opportunities to hear the gospel and then to be able to respond to its promises, because that's what jumpstarts discipleship. Then you, then you can do catechesis. Then you can build on top of that. So it, I think a lot of people jump to just the kind of the catechesis. What, what are the kind of talks we're going to give or what's the content we want to cover? That's great. As long as uh, people have become disciples and that happens when the gospel is proclaimed and people can respond to his promises. So, so putting those moments and not just one or not just two, but multiple and varied moments throughout the year, these evangelistic moments. That's so good. I love that. How, how do you, you said this, like, um, you know, it's people love the charismatic leader and they can get a lot done. Um, but you said multiplying by putting the Holy spirit and everybody can just do so much more. Yeah. How do you get people? Cause I've struggled with this greatly over yeah. the years at almost every place I've ever worked. Um, mm -hmm. How do you get people to actually own that and, yeah. and really accept that and to lead into that themselves rather than yeah. just saying you do it, you know, you, you're the guy you, you, you get the, your full-time pay, you're yep. paid here. You do it. I'm, I'm yep. just volunteer. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Honestly, I think it has to start with a deep conviction that I'm, I am one part of the puzzle mm -hmm. and that there is an incredible puzzle that's going to be built. Yeah, okay. We, we, we know when you're trying to, to tear down from a night, you, the leader says many hands make light work. Everybody pitch in, you know, we could clean this place up in 10 minutes. Otherwise it's going to take two hours. Well, <clears throat> many hands make like make light work. That's, that's true. And that's true in ministry. And, and as a leader, I, I've really embraced that principle because it's not about me getting something done. It's about the job getting done well and others having ownership of that. But, but the critical piece I've seen is I have to have an eye for the unique gifts that other people bring to the table and I have to speak it to them. Yeah. I have to notice. I have to be thoughtful enough. I have to be able to to take my eyes off of myself and, and the job and to look around and, and notice what people, what contributions can they can make and invite them into that and being very specific. You know, you have an incredible, you have an incredible organizational gift. I really stink with spreadsheets and you love spreadsheets or whatever. I just, I'm just naming spreadsheets, but it could be anything. And being willing to, to, to notice and then to invite people into something through that kind of unique contribution that they can make and building a team that, that is comprised of, of these kind of many and varied gifts. So for me, it's, it's recognizing that I'm part, not the whole, many hands make light work and being very thoughtful about the gifts that this team needs and inviting people into it with a very specific and, and hopefully honoring and, and honest um, kind of assessment of what gifts they bring to the table. Yeah. I love that. Um, <coughs> one of the things you talked about was, you know, it, we have to make disciples. And I think that that's something that I think in the Catholic church, we've struggled. We've, we've maybe built good communities and maybe inspiring events but to really make that take root and have people make just become a disciple, um, that that I think has been a struggle. It's been a struggle for me. What would you yeah. give as like the number one advice for your top strategy for you know this person comes to you and they're in the room? How how would you that you've had an evangelistic moment for them? How would you then go yeah. and take them to become a disciple? Yeah. When, if it if it's in youth ministry, I, I might be speaking out of my depth a little bit. Um, one because I, I haven't spent as much time there, uh, but I also don't all don't always know the limitations of safe environment and how that you know how that all works and that yeah, yeah. Um, 
working with college students is much easier. Uh, we can have men working with other men one-on-one, women working with other women one-on-one. And I find that um, discipleship comes to life when someone who wants to be a disciple can watch another disciple live their life. Mm. And that can be modeled. So that's a little harder in a, in a youth ministry setting, not only because of safe environment, but because of the difference in age and life and, you know, there's yeah. adults and then there's teenagers. Um, but I think our, our ministry environments need to be able to approximate some of those key habits of, of a disciple. And there, there needs to be experiences of prayer but they don't have to be like super holy, super pious. They just need to be maybe in a small group where it's modeled how someone might talk to God and the person next to them is encouraged to try that out. And right. it might be, again, opening up the Bible and and showing what it looks like to prayerfully read the scriptures and then talk about how that might apply to your life. You know, um, it lo- it looks like, serving people in need. Um, it looks like doing, it, it just looks like doing discipleship things together in the context of ministry and what works for youth ministry. But at the same time, you can't only do that because yeah. that's not all of my life. Isn't that um, I'm a social person. I I'm a, I'm a, I'm a learning person, you know, so we have to find ways to kind of engage the whole person but we also have to we have to connect them into what are some of those habits we'd like them to bring into their life, but they can experience it in real time, um, in a in a kind of a safe environment that they could take that back into their life. So those would be mm-hmm. some some thoughts. You know, what are those habits that we want people to to take on in their like? If we say there's a habit we want them to take on in their actual life, we have to find a way to to model that for them in our youth ministry settings. I love Otherwise, that. it's not going to happen. Right. No, that's yeah. so true. So now you have gone on this journey and, and started this new podcast, the Better Preach podcast. Let's let's kind of go there um, and talk sure. about like your inspiration. How did this come about? And yeah, yeah what's your vision for it? Yeah. Well, it, it does start with um, the thing that I think one well. One of the things I think God put me on earth to do was to communicate his gospel. And that's, that has been a deep and ardent passion of mine uh, f- for all these years. And so there's, there, there's that. I, I just love the art and science of you know, communicating the truths of the Catholic faith. I love the art and science of communication, period. So there's that. Um, about five years ago, I thought I want to do a podcast and I spent about two hours dreaming about what it would be. And then this idea hit me that what you can see, you can, we, I love communication. I would love to have a podcast about preaching the gospel. And I thought, what could we do with that? And, and the insight that I think that was most helpful was I can watch people give talks. I can listen to talks. I can jump on YouTube. I can go to conferences. I can see everything that they do on stage and I can learn a ton from that. But how much more could I learn if I could understand all the things that happen in someone's life before they get the mic? And Mm -hmm. I think there is an unlimited amount of, of wisdom that we can gain from actually talking to folks about about their process of preparing about how they deliver talks and all the behind the scenes stuff so i thought that's it i i want to do kind of a behind the scenes podcast with great catholic speakers to help raise the the tide of catholic speaking in the church and again not just for people who are on stages but for youth ministers and dres and priests and deacons and volunteers anybody any catholic leader who's giving a talk and wants to get better that's who the, the podcast is for. And then a couple of years passed. I didn't do anything with it. This, you know, Evernote doc 
had all of these plans. You know, I just, I went nuts one day, had it all figured out and then put it aside for about three years. So that's like now two years ago, um, Edmund Mitchell, a mutual friend, yep. uh, asked me if you could talk about anything, or if you could talk about one thing for the, I was trying to ask him like, well, I want to do a podcast. What should it be? And he's like, if, what would it be if you could talk about anything uh, every week, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future and immediately preaching? That's what yep. I would want to talk about. And so that's, that's how this all came about. And finally, this, this last year, I said, okay, enough, enough's enough. I, I've got to do this. And I've been having an absolute blast um, connecting with these great Catholic communicators and beginning to put something out into the church just to continue to support um, folks giving talks. That's always going to be happening in the church. It's inherent to who we are as church. We are, you know, that's that that's not going away. And so there's yeah. going to be a market for it. And I also know that there's a it's a pain point for a lot of of people in ministry to they feel this pressure to, to give these talks, but always don't maybe don't always feel equipped. And I want to be something I want the podcast rather to be something of a coach or a guide or a mentor to them. Yeah, and it's I think it's doing a great job. Like I, I I've really felt that any episode that you listen to, it does speak to whether you are going and you're gonna give a talk at a conference or you are just you know preparing as a volunteer at a youth ministry, or even just a, going and doing a 10-minute like catechesis for yeah. a confirmation class, like it will serve you. And it's it, who was it? Um her last name Zeno. I think who was oh, her name? Uh, Katrina Zeno. Katrina, Katrina Zeno. Zeno. Yeah, she she was really great for especially like with just recognizing like every moment matters, even if you're given a 10 minute talk. And yeah. that was a really fruitful uh, episode for me to listen to. I just awesome. I thought it was yeah. so good. So I've just really enjoyed that. This it's not like you hear, yeah, better preach podcast. You might think, oh, this is for the, the pastors out there giving the homilies yeah. or or for those at the conference. Not at all. It's very yeah. much for anyone giving a talk. And I, I've really, really, really appreciated that. Um, and I love I love how you're yeah, going behind the scenes to see the process. And you do a good job, Ryan, of, of really pressing everybody to yeah, give like tell me what it is you do. Tell me what it is yes. you do. Yeah. Um because it's it's not just talking about, you know, it, this is how you give a good talk. This is how you get emotional, you know, get through yeah. these things. It's, you know, this is how we really go through preaching the gospel. And this is how you do it ahead of time. And most mm -hmm. of the work is ahead of time. You know, it's not just standing on the stage or in front of the podium. It's most, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah. So Oftentimes I, I, by a factor of 10, you know, or more, you know, that's, that's absolutely true. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. Um, so I, I really loved it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I want to ask you, you know, what, what has been some of like the big takeaways for you so far in these 10 episodes? What, what's really kind of stuck out to you? What are some of the advices people have given that have been like, wow, I never thought of that, or I want to try that, or I want to do that? You know, um, the latest episode with Paul George called internalize the message. Mm. We got talking about pauses and in general, it's true. Like as you're speaking, the a comment that I made was like when we're in conversation, there's yeah. a time where I'm speaking and the, then there's a time when I'm listening. That's not true with a talk. Um, I, I'm always speaking. Yeah. And if I pause, I, you know, <laughs> I got to keep this thing going. But he pointed <laughs> out, I think, a really uh, kind of overlooked insight is that you can pause. It, you can't pause forever, but you can pause and probably should pause. And you can take a minute, uh, you know, a few seconds to glance at your notes, collect your thoughts and come back. And again, he pointed out that one, we often talk faster than someone might be able to process. Right. And two, there, there's, it, it respects the fact that there's a dialogue going on. 
even though it's invisible. Now, it's visible to the speaker if you pay attention to body language, if you pay attention to people's reactions, if you're, if you're self-aware enough to, to know that maybe people aren't tracking and you need to, you know, you need to move and pivot. So I, I thought that was a, just a, a fantastic insight, one that talks aren't monologues. They're dialogues, but they're a, a special kind of dialogue. And that pauses, you need, you actually need them. And I, 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 I don't think I had ever thought about it that way. And to me, that was just a, just a keen, keen insight. Um, because I, I think, I do think one of the greatest challenges is because, because it is, it is not a classic dialogue. You have to, you have to make things happen from start to finish. Yeah. <laughs> and and the there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure uh, to, to filter things properly, to, to know where you're going next while at the same time saying what you're saying now. Well, uh, there's no breathing room built naturally, but he pointed out that there is, and it's not long and you can't do a ton of it, but there are some, there are moments that you really need to, to be able to step back. And I, I thought that was just a, just a great insight. I love that. Yeah, I um, I think I was at a life team conference and it was a workshop on small groups and, and small groups is always something that, you know, training core members how to lead a small group is always so hard because they're they, they get concerned about silence because we're so it, it's so hard to have silence. Yes. And uh, it's so important to have it. And they I don't remember who was doing the workshop, but they, they said there's power in the pause. And I just mm. thought that that was so good. And I, I've tried that. And, you know, what they were meaning was, you know, you put out a prompt or discussion thing. You sit down. Hey, what did you think of the talk? What really stuck out to you? And you just kind of sit there mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you just let it happen and uh, see what, what's going on. And maybe kids don't say anything right away in that small group, but they're thinking about something. Yeah. And even if they don't share it, that is, you know, there's there's power in that pause that maybe something's going on in their head that. You have to have the faith and the trust in Jesus and the Holy Spirit yeah. that they, they're, yeah. they're doing something in their hearts. And I just think that that's so true in a small group. And I think that's so true with what your guys, you guys talked about with Paul George there. The, that pause is so important in that. I love that, that idea of the, the dialogue um, in, in preaching. That's cool. Yeah. And, and what's true too, like um, the introvert is served by that pause as well. Mo most of us, not most of us, I'm an extrovert. So extroverts are, we process externally. I figure out what I'm going to say at the same time you hear me say it, you know, um, <laughs> yep. but the introvert needs space and they, they do that work internally. And so the pause actually serves them as well. And again, I love what you just said. I don't think I've ever thought about the fact that a pause can support someone who maybe doesn't verbalize something, but it gave them space to even think about it. Right. And just even that thinking is fruitful. That's a great point. And it's important because it's uncomfortable, like in a small group setting, it's uncomfortable for that small group leader to have that pause yeah. and that silence. And it's sometimes uncomfortable for those extroverts who are like, why isn't anybody talking? What the heck is, you right. know, and they feel pain and they talk after why no one's talking small groups. Do we do those? And it's like, yes, <laughs> because yeah. that silence is important. Cause even if they're not talking something, God's in their heart and we have to have faith in that. I think that's really important as leaders. I, I love that. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Um, you know, something that I, I was, when I dove into this podcast, I, I really love, you know, I watch Catholic talks. I go back and watch the Steubenville talks that I just went to, you know, just to kind of pick yeah. them apart and, and kind of grow myself in how am I going to preach this week at a life night or, you know, whatever it is. And um, one of the things that I've, I've seen that's been really hard in youth ministry, and, and you guys talked about this really well, you and any in your first episode was, that when people come to these events, sometimes there's like this, this almost this back step that happens where they think to be holy, 
I should mm. preach and I should be on a stage mm-hmm. or I should yeah. be a youth minister giving a talk or what, mm-hmm. you know, what, whatever it is. Um, you know, I relate to that because I think I was that kid when, when I was getting yeah. into ministry. I really, really was. And I had to grow out of that and, and got to do some real work on my heart. And he's still doing work on my heart on that. I think it's going to be mm. kind of a life uh, for me almost. And I think that's something I've really kind of been sitting in recently. But you guys talked about it really well, this holy reluctance um, yeah. with you and any. And, and you've, you've done this repeatedly. You kind of repeat this question where you bring up that scripture from James uh, where, you know, someone has to preach, you know, how, do, how might they hear the gospel unless one preaches? But then you yeah. also bring up, uh, you know, we're going to be judged differently if you, yeah. if you preach, you know, that's right. Can you talk about that, that dichotomy there and, and the yeah. balance that, that comes with that, because I think that it's, it's yeah. such an important thing to talk about. And I'm so glad that you've been doing this with these t- last 10 episodes. I mean, I think that's, yeah one of the greatest things that you're doing, Ryan, is it, within this whole space, there, there is, uh, there's a clip with any where he said, you know, uh, prophets had their heads cut off and, and speakers <laughs> are popular. <laughs> and right. he's like, I need to make the choice to, uh, to not be a speaker and to be a prophet. Um, yeah. Can you talk about that? Cause I think that's something yeah. that we need here in this space. It's, it's something that's you're doing great. Yeah, I, I think we can't we we have to be honest about the fact that part of what makes someone an effect an effective communicator um, is also part of what could be their downfall. Mm. And by that I mean there's a certain ego. There's a certain and I want to say this next word carefully because it's it's I, I say it's like there's a certain narcissism of like right. I got this. I could do this. It's about like I'm. I'm bringing. I'm. I'm the one speaking. It's my uh, voice. My my voice is going out to the masses. So right. there's 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 a certain um, ego and narcissism. Now that's in the natural. So then then God has to grace has to build on nature, and has to begin to refine that that vehicle or that voice to be his voice. And, and so you start with, you start with some, some qualities that, that could be, you know, that person's undoing if they're, if they're not pierced by, by grace and pierced by the stewardship of a message that isn't theirs and isn't the calling isn't theirs. It's, it comes from God. And so that's that's the ah, gosh that that's like the nub of the danger, and and again right. people are are it's like do you want to be a speaker because of the applause because of what you know um, or do you want to be a prophet that's willing to get your head cut off? Mm. And that was the, that to me, uh, Annie Hickman lives that tension the best, and he he calls it out of others as well and kind of rejects the 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 celebrity-ness of some catholic speaking um and again uh think about all the prophets in the old testament these these folks lived austere and and painful lives and um all just take the apostles all but one died a martyr's death and that that's not what we equate today you know <laughs> with with catholic speaking and you don't you're not always bringing these really harsh mess, harsh messages but there are times where you have to to push beyond what people want to hear and and to speak a a, a difficult truth and again that's that's hard as yeah. as ego and other kind of people pleasing things get in there, and so again, God works with our 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 nature, uh, but it's it's really the work happens when grace pierces through that and elevates it, uh, while always trying to maintain that tension. Um, so <laughs> that's that's how I've experienced it. And I I do. You're right. Uh, Romans ten on 
how lovely are the feet of of those who bring good news and people aren't going to hear unless someone's sent. So you've yep. got to do it. But also James, um, not many of you should be teachers because you're going to be judged more harshly. You got to hold those two things in tension and it's got to be a, it's got to be a call and it'll be confirmed by the body. It'll be confirmed by your local church. It'll be confirmed by your diocese. It'll be confirmed by, by those who invite you in. If this is a call, and um, that that has to that has to happen as well. So true. What is um what are some books that have really helped you in your your you know your journey in ministry, but but especially your your pursuit of of good preaching? Yeah, the my favorite one, and this is the one that's come up time and time again. And I'll just say it: um, Andy Stanley's "Communicating for a Change." Oh, has been name. probably the most important book for me. And he, he said something very simple in that book that really impacted me years ago. He said two things. One, one that we have to move beyond information and speak towards transformation. So wow. our, our, our goal of speaking isn't just passing on true, true things. Yeah. But we have to present in such a way that actually leads to someone's life changing. And so then you have to get into some of the psychology of, of what motivates people to consider changing their life. And so I think sometimes we have the thought that if, if I just say true things, change will happen. Maybe. But a more effective approach would be, how can I say true things in such a way that will greater, more likely result in someone hearing it and then begin to make changes in their life? So actually, only a portion, say 40% of the talk is going to be, say, doctrinal. Right. Or again... Why would, if, if all we needed was doctrine, couldn't we just hand people the catechism? Wouldn't that do it? Right. Well, no, we know it doesn't. So say 40% of the talk is doctrinal. Well, what's happening with the other 60% is, is you're preparing a sandwich, you know, for them to, to take in and, you know, to heal, you know, to heal and change their life. I don't know what sandwich that is. That sounds great. I'll eat that for lunch, but, but like, (laughs) you've got to set it up. And you got to bring that truth in the middle there. And then you have to help apply it to their life and give them something to go on that. Now that, that is different. So information transformation versus information. And then the other thing he said that really changed things is five points is too many. Three takeaways is too many. You got one shot. What's (laughs) the one thing you want people to walk away with and actually to work really hard on figuring out a memorable way to, to say that one thing. Uh, and I could give you an example. Yeah. I, I was asked to give a talk on sharing your faith, like being somebody who's willing to talk about their faith with others. And I was searching for some material to help kind of support some of those ideas. Landed on Evangelii Gaudium, Pope's uh, Francis Joy of the Gospel. In there, he has paragraph 127 and 128 on sharing our faith. Incredible. Go read that. Those are two of the best paragraphs on sharing your faith that's ever been written, in my humble opinion. Why? Because not only does he do kind of a powerful job of of showing the need and the urgency now, but he also gives really, really practical steps for how to do it. And what he says is it's like, it's like, uh, uh, you know, these, these faith sharing conversations come up and here's what he noted. <clears throat> the other person, when the other person is sharing and they share joys, hopes, concerns, and other heartfelt needs, this is Pope Francis. Only then do you bring up a scripture or a story, a testimony, and always keeping in mind the fundamental message. And so the light bulb goes off and I was like, okay, what's happening there? is a moment of grace and a message from God. So 
a moment of grace opens up. People share joys, hopes, concerns, heartfelt needs. And what he's asking then is then bring a message from God, a, a scripture or a testimony, you know, or the gospel message. And so the line was, this wasn't Pope Francis's language, but I worked really hard to say, okay, sharing your faith is bringing a message from God into a moment of grace. And people mm -hmm. can remember that. MG, MG, you know, message from yep. God into a moment of grace. Mm -hmm. And that has become this, this mantra. Um, and I worked really hard on just figuring that out. And it was worth the effort. And so I think mm -hmm. that's what, that's what Andy Stanley was pointing at. Like it, you've got to put in the work to figure out what I'm about to say is, is one, it's worth listening to. Yeah. And if it's worth listening to, let's let's make it memorable. Because if you can't remember it, if you can't grab onto it and carry it with you, you can be inspired in the moment, but it won't bring transformation over time. Now, now again, the, the gospel is is much more nuanced and powerful. I, I'm not giving it enough credit here. But the point is, is that um, you have to be much more thoughtful if you really want your your speaking to have the desired effect that we all want, you know, right. in in the talks that we give. I love Andy saying I've never heard that book, um, so I'll have to check that out. Um, oh, it's I love excellent. It. He's got that the the preaching outline that uh, he's popularized. The what is? Have you heard of this? The uh, me, yes. me, God, you, me, we. me, we, God, you, we, or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Me, we, God, just, you, we. I love that. That method has helped me so much um, yeah. in preparing for things. I, I use that uh, often, not all the time. It doesn't always work. And it, it you know, you kind of, yeah. you kind of work it out uh, as you're going along, but I've loved that method. I've, I've really, uh, I, I don't know who, who shared that with me. It might've been, uh, I think I heard it on every knee shall bow that podcast with mm -hmm. uh, Mike Gomerly there. Um, oh yeah. I love that. So Ryan, thank you so much for being uh, with me here. I, I just want to thank you because, you know, like I said, I think the work that you do, um, you know, obviously in campus ministry, as I've, we've heard today, you know, I think has helped a lot of people and just your vision for campus ministry, you know, from someone who's worked a lot in youth ministry, for you to have the thought in your mind of youth ministers that you might send mm -hmm. those kids back to their parish in their local community, that they could be lights uh, when they come and return, I think that's, that's amazing. And I hope that any campus minister can hear that and just like really model that in your life. Um, so I really appreciate you for that. And I, I really thank you for, you know, taking charge on this podcast and bringing better preach to, to everybody, because, you know, honestly, I shared this with you a little bit before, but, you know, coming back into podcasting myself, I really needed encouragement and it was great. I had a few people reach out to me and say, Hey, you should do this again. You should do this again but I was really afraid of doing it again because I didn't want to do it for the wrong reasons. And yeah. your podcast had been a real encouragement to me, especially you reminding me of the, those scripture passages and just really sitting with those and, and really just reflecting like, like, man, nobody might hear the gospel if you don't do what you're called to do, Nick. So, so open your mouth a little bit because I'm Amen. calling you to, I really felt that Amen. and you really led me to that prayer. So I just thank you for that, man. And, and just Amen. keep doing what you're doing. So Amen. I ask everybody this to close out the show. I, I, I say, imagine your life goes on, you know, and, and I hope that it's a long one and you do thousands of episodes of better preach and it's great, but then you die. And when you're dead, they're going to make you a saint because you lived a good life, hopefully. And you get to come back and say, you know, Pope Francis or whoever was the Pope at the time, this is what I want to be the patron saint of. What would you mm. choose to be the oh, patron saint? Oh, man. Oh, man. That's awesome question. Um, you know, it's something that we didn't talk about at all. Um, I would want to be... Um, the patron saint of stressed out, but hopeful dads. Um, <laughs> I, and I say, or specifically like the patron saint of kids who have, ex the patron saint of a father whose kids have experienced trauma. I'll say mm -hmm. that. 
and that's not like a big bomb to drop here right at the end but yeah. that that is um that's very much what my life has been given to in my in my family life mm-hmm. and that's my the context being my wife and I adopted four boys through foster care and I didn't really understand trauma and, and its impact on, on people's lives, much less how to be a dad to kids um, who weren't your own, your own kids to start um, and had experienced trauma. There's a very different way of parenting, you know, kids who, who have experienced that. So I, I, and I, I think I say the first part, like stressed out and hopeful Cause that's, that's who I, that's who I am. Like life is, life is full. Life is difficult. Um, but there's also just a tremendous amount of hope, uh, in me. And it's, that's the, the context is that trauma informed parenting. So what a great question, Nick. Thanks for asking. You got it, man. Hey, well, thank you so much again for being with us and everybody please be sure to uh, go out and check out uh, the better preach podcast. Ryan, where can they find you on social media? Cause like I said, he's really great. He, you know, brings you along on this journey that he's this hopeful journey that he's living. So where, yeah. where can they find you? Thanks Nick. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram at, at Ryan C O'Hara and on, uh, uh, my webpage, ryanohara.org. The, the webpage for better preach is ryanohara.org uh, slash better preach. Awesome. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of This Catholic Life. And go check out the Better Preach podcast with Ryan O'Hara.